Can you hear me? Am I on? Good morning. Okay. I can hear my voice now, so I think you can hear me. Um, Well, it's been really good to be in Ecclesiastes as a church body this summer. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I've really appreciated Neil's teaching, and I've been challenged and enlightened as we've carefully walked through um, the initial parts of this book. And I'm very humbled um, today to continue us on into what Neil has called this ungraspable book. Um, No pressure at all here. Um, (laughs) So um, this morning we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes 3, um, which includes one of the most well-known and best-loved poems in the Bible. In fact, many of us will walk out of here this morning with um, the 1965 rendition of this poem made famous by the birds echoing through our heads for the rest of the day. Um, But in any case, as a a brief recap, um, Neil has helped us see that in Ecclesiastes, we get to hear the thoughts of a preacher who is trying out thought experiments to grapple with the meaning of life, especially when things are not working out quite the way that the book of Proverbs um, might suggest. And so here in chapter 3, what we'll be looking at today, the, the preacher turns his attention to the nature of time in, in our human experience. So here are his words in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what has been, or what will be, has been before. And God will call the past to account. This is the word of the Lord. So as most of my ministry experience has come through InterVarsities, working with college students um, and with staff, I'm a little bit more accustomed to making students work with me as we engage in the scriptures. Um, This morning, we're all students of God's word. 
Um, Dave Carlson actually said that to me last week, and I, I was thankful for that. And I want to remind us of that as we enter in the scripture together. Um, and particularly as I ask you maybe to do a few things that maybe we're not accustomed to doing on Sunday mornings. So be prepared. I'm going to challenge you to work alongside me today. Um, so in your messenger this morning, you should have received a copy of um, the preacher's poem, which is the fir- first eight um, verses that I read. Um, so if you could pull that out and have that in front of you. And if you have a pen, um, go ahead and pull that out too. And it's okay if you don't. Just look on with a neighbor. Um, so as you're pulling that out, you, you may have noticed in the poem when it was read or as you look through it um, that the word time is repeated a lot, like 28 times a lot, plus one in the intro and another time later on in his comments. Um, So I think we can therefore safely assume that this is a a poem about time. All right. I'm I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So, but instead of um, talking about how little time we have or um, how fleeting time is, the preacher paints just this beautiful picture in this poem of all the times that humans experience throughout their days under the heavens. If, if, as you look through the poem, you'll see that each line holds a contrast. And these contrasts actually reveal a spectrum. So if you see, um, you see love and hate are two ends of the human emotional spectrum, or war and peace, kind of states of society that we find ourselves in. Um, and you'll also um, note, if you count through, there's, there's 14 pairs, which in the Bible is significant because um, seven and multiples of seven are um, symbolic of completion. And so when the, the preacher offers us this poem, he's offering sort of metaphorically a complete picture of the human experience. So before we continue on, I want you to look through those 28 times on the sheet in front of you. So 28 times are activities. Um, And I'd like for you to just choose what your favorite of those activities is. Okay, so maybe you might want to circle it or star it. What's your favorite activity? And, And in contrast, what's your least favorite activity that he lists? So your favorite, your least favorite. seeing people looking up. So you have your favorite and your least favorite. Now, I'm assuming that most of you did not choose scattering stones as your favorite activity. Am I right? Did anyone put that? I would just be really, okay. My son Silas might have put that because he loves to take our landscaping stones and scatter them into the grass for daddy to find with a lawnmower later. It's great. Um, (laughs) But all that to say, um, Though many of these times that you, you're looking at or emotions are um, things that we're familiar with, or emotions or tasks that we still do today, um, but a few are a little bit less familiar or clear. Um, so just to bring a little bit of clarity, verse 3 um, is talking about killing and healing, tearing down and building. Um, that is likely refer- referring to war times, obviously with killing, but also um, with tearing down of buildings or city walls. Um, and then healing after that, or building up, rebuilding after war. And then in verse 5, scattering stones um, may have been to um, clear a field, but even more commonly in war times, um, 
people would throw rocks into uh, fields that were being used um, to grow crops so that those fields would no longer be usable. They would no longer be farmable. So it was a way to kind of um, destroy your enemy's food supply. Um, whereas rocks and stones were gathered to build fences or houses. So for all of these activities, the preacher declares that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And there's beauty in seeing that. But the truth is, we don't really want necessarily to experience all of the seasons that are listed here and that we most certainly will face in our lives. It's very natural to want only certain seasons and not others. Um, We were on vacation last week um, with Derek's family, and um, I know that my kids wish that they could live on vacation forever. Um, And they never, ever want to go to bed, especially on vacation. Um, And most days, I find that I'm actually really not that different from my kids. Who doesn't want to live on vacation? If I had the power, I would make the times stand still for things that we see in this poem, like births, planting, healing, building, laughing, dancing, embracing. Months ago, before I had any idea I would be standing here today, I was reading Addie, our five-year-old daughter, um, a picture book of this poem um, that we happen to have at our house. And when we reached the line, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, um, she had some vocabulary questions, but once she understood, um, she was astounded that there would ever be a time to refrain from embracing. And if you know Addie, you know that that is very much her heart. Um, Why wouldn't you want to hug, she asked me. Uh, As the Lord's timing would have it, uh, we responded uh, two weeks later to a time of influenza in our family. And this interaction with Addie came back to mind um, as we tried everything we could to contain contamination from family members and did indeed refrain from hugging and sharing juice cups. Or even in Michigan, if we think of literal seasons, um, we certainly experience all four here. Um, We know how to engage and even enjoy them, um, but we also know how to avoid the ones that we don't want to if we have the means, right? Um, This poem illustrates that our world is not made up only of the good times. There's a mixture, a tension, And even more so, there's no real controlling of the times that we face. The preacher doesn't use the word hevel in this passage, which is one that's been used in in the previous passages and in many after. Um, But he does seem to find the nature of times cycling around us as unsatisfying. In um, in verse 9, he asks, What do workers gain from their toil? And he calls it a burden that God has laid on humanity. Curiously, he seems to believe that God rules the times, that he also has made everything beautiful in its time. But he can't seem to get around the fact that humans are not able to grasp the big picture of what God is up to. 
he, he even seems to kind of take issue with the fact that God has allowed us to kind of grasp this concept of eternity, um, but, but yet has kept us in the dark on a lot of things. He's asking questions that were actually well beyond his time. He's asking about things that really can only be understood with the person of Jesus Christ. But before we look at that, I want to circle back to this idea that he does acknowledge that it's God who controls our times. He accepts this as fact, but I don't know if that's maybe as obvious to us today as it was to him and maybe the people who originally heard his words. In God's ordered creation, there is space for each of these activities listed. This is a beautiful, maybe even a comforting word for us today as we face absurd pressures to efficiently achieve results as if we were robots who never get sick or require maternity leave or bereavement time. But this also troubles us. How do we grapple with the idea that God allows us to experience times both to love and to hate, to dance and to mourn, Perhaps the fact that God is in control of the seasons of our life is a bit harder for us to accept today than it was for the preacher's original audience. As I mentioned before, um, we as people long for good times. In fact, there's a reason for that. We long for them because that's what we were created for. Verses 12 and 13 say, the preacher says, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. These words evoke the images of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2. God's original design for people was for them to be satisfied with God's perfect provision under his leadership. Yet, people rejected living by God's design, and so we live lives fraught with difficulty and pain. What's interesting for us here in America today um, is that we are actually kind of told that we can create a life of good times for ourselves. If we just make the right choices, we can control our own destinies. Unlike most people who have lived throughout history, we have the ability to avoid times and tasks that we don't like, like winter or laundry or vacuuming. Uh, And we can even usher in good times and things that we do like. I'm still amazed that mangoes are somehow sold at Meijer year-round in Michigan. That's amazing. (laughs) As fairly financially stable people with power to make decisions for our good and for the good of our families, it can actually be easy to believe that we have control of our seasons. Now, obviously, this doesn't hold up when we, when we do face death, mourning, silence, or we have to throw something away. But truthfully, those kinds of seasons often feel jarring, or at least they do to me. And I think that some of this is because our cultural narrative tells us that we can control our times and that there's something wrong when we face difficulty. I think that the preacher has a word of truth and freedom for us here in America today. We do not control our times, but God does. Therefore, rather than trying to control our times, 
we can embrace the times that God does give us in turn. It's interesting to note in the poem that with the exception of being born and dying, um, each activity mentioned is actually a response to the time or the season that God has brought forth. So there's a time to plant. We can plant in the winter, but spring is the time to plant, right? So there's an implication that there's an appropriate time to laugh or to dance, to mourn or to cry. There's wisdom undergirding these words that people are not only to observe that seasons come and go, but are also to note that there is a time to respond to each one. In verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. When we do embrace our times, we discover that God has blessings for us in each one. Parker Palmer wrote a little book I enjoyed this past year called Let Your Life Speak. And in it, he talks about seasons we go through in life. Much like the Ecclesiastes, the Ecclesiastes preacher, he sees that God brings us into metaphorical seasons without really asking our opinion first. If we lived close, this is a quote from him, if we lived close to nature in an agricultural society, the seasons as metaphor and fact would continually frame our lives. But the master metaphor of our era does not come from agriculture. It comes from manufacturing. We do not believe that we grow our lives we believe that we make them. Just listen to how we use the word in everyday speech. We make time, make friends, make meaning, make money, make a living, make love. So he goes on in his book to explore this metaphor of seasons as maybe a more helpful framework of viewing the times in our lives that we can't control. So he walks through, and I'm just going to kind of offer you a little snapshot because I found it so helpful in my personal life. And starting with summer, summer is the season that we're in. I think I, I know that people in our church, we're really good at engaging with summer. We go away to college, or cottages, we, we spend time at the beach, we garden. Um, and summer is just such a, a beautiful season of abundance, of fruitfulness. And in our personal lives or our spiritual lives, summer can look like having more than enough, having all you need. It's when your faith is so clearly real to you, right in front of you. And it's, it's times where we don't feel like there's scarcity, like we have enough, enough even to share with other people. And those times are rich, and they're wonderful. But we also go through... The, the other seasons as well. And so as he moves toward autumn, he describes autumn as a season of beauty, but also of decline. It's hard to watch things die in our lives. And it's also easy for us to forget that that time of decline and death is also a time for receding. Times when Maybe God is saying no or closing a door or we experience something tragic um, that God somehow uses to prepare us for a new life that he wants to bring down the road. And um, in, in talking about winter, um, I really appreciate his words. He calls winter a demanding season 
Nature feels like our enemy. (laughs) I just really resonate with that. I don't really appreciate winter always. Um, But in life, we experience winter as well. Um, and, And it's a time where death's victory can seem supreme. But he also comments that winter provides us a picture of dormancy. And dormancy is a reminder that deep rest is essential for all living things. He says, winter clears the landscape, however brutally, giving us a chance to see ourselves and each other more clearly, to see the very ground of our being. And then coming around to spring, um, his description of spring is, at first it's just plain ugly. It's muddy and disgusting. (laughs) But that's what fertile ground for new growth looks like. And as spring progresses, we have to search for signs of early growth, but by the time it's over, it's just almost flamboyant. And we love those seasons in our life, too, of spring, where there's new life bursting forth, and you can see the blossoms that were dormant all winter, and you can start to appreciate what God has brought into your life. It's a season of beauty and of sharing. And I I hope you're understanding why I'm bringing these seasons to you. Um, Parker Palmer's point is that there's a gift in every season that we face. And I believe that God has gifts that we can only receive in the context of a specific season. So then, embracing our times is actually an act of faith in the God who controls them. God gives us good gifts through each time that we face. But even more amazing, when we live with this surrendered posture, we're able to responsively engage in the world around us, no matter what kind of time we're facing. Like Paul, we can learn to be content in all circumstances. Jesus demonstrated this so beautifully in the ways he perfectly responded to his times. Phil Riken, who's the president of Wheaton, put it this way. As we witness the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we see a Savior who always knew what time it was. And throughout the Gospels, if you look, if you pay attention the next time you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that time is peppered through them. Comments like, at hand, as it was not the time, the time was near, or the time has come, or on that day. They are peppered throughout the telling of Jesus' story. And this isn't even to mention the, the, the big picture of Jesus' birth coming just at the right moment of human history, um, so that his death and resurrection perfectly fulfilled all of the prophecies of, about him. I appreciate Julie Canlis' thoughts on the life of Jesus. She writes in her book, A Theology of the Ordinary, Jesus was not just going through the motions of being human in order to fast forward to the cross, she says. In fact, the Son's mission is not only the cross, but involves all of human life as it is lived. Jesus came to teach us how to be human, And he lived in the context of time. 
Jesus indeed embraced each time he was given in the most purposeful life ever lived. He was able to be present to people, responsive to them, in obedience to his Father. And when it was time, he even embraced death. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection reveal to us that God does indeed control the times of all human history. And unlike the preacher, we have that that perspective, and we can see a, a bigger picture of eternity. We know that one day Jesus will return and bring about the fullness of the Garden of Eden to our world once again. Yet we are also in tension, like the preacher, of knowing this great ending, um, but still living in the midst of hevel, confusing, ungraspable life upheavals that happen around us every day. Therefore, we can relate to his feelings of uncertainty and confusion and burden. So then, as the people of God, the witnesses of Jesus in this world, how do we live responsibly to our times? So first, Neil said two weeks ago that our ability to enjoy life is directly tied to our ability to see that we actually have no control of our lives. The beauty of this poem and the preacher's comments about time help us to see that although we are not in control, God is. Though we yearn for the day that Jesus will make all things new, we can trust that God has purpose for us in this time, whatever it is. Relinquishing our desires and our attempts to control what we cannot is an act of faith that roots us more deeply in Christ. Secondly, when we are no longer frantically trying to keep ourselves in our favorite seasons, we are freed up to embrace the season that God is actually giving us. This poem shows that God has ordered his creation and that there's a place for all of these events in the human experience. Therefore, we can stop and weep when it is time to weep. And we can also accept that the people around us may be in a difficult season, different from ours. And we can feel less pressure to help them move into a more positive place. In verse 7, the poem illustrates grieving customs. So, Sorry, I lost my text. Um, A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. So these things are actually illustrating grieving customs of tearing clothes and mourning. Um, that would be mended again later, Um, and also in sitting in silence with the bereaved. The idea was that there was an accepted space for mourning, and that the community would respond and enter into that space with the bereaved. Our society doesn't give much time, space, or help to understand grief outside the counseling world, But this poem paints a picture of what it looks like to embrace the times that God is giving and to help each other do that well in community. We can believe that God will use even a difficult time in our friends' lives for their good and can be content just to be present with them through it. If we are able to read the times, we can can appropriately respond to them. 
our world so desperately needs to see that God knows and cares for people. I have grieved so much over the past several years to see the reputation of the church in America become one of callousness toward outsiders, unwelcoming or unwilling to listen to different perspectives. What would it look like for the church today to be responsive to these times that we're facing? What would look different if we were willing to accept that maybe the security and the comfort that we've enjoyed for many years may not actually be God's plan for us going forward? To not assume that that's the way it will go. And finally, when we embrace the times God brings us, we end up better, more whole people. As the Jewish people understood, grief is a process, and God brings healing through each step of that journey. We can't fast forward to the results. This is true of our spiritual journeys as well. If we are able to see that God has both mountaintops and valleys to lead us through, we will be less anxious to get out of the uncomfortable times and more hopeful to receive something good from them. We follow our Lord and Savior Jesus who came with the title Suffering Servant. I sometimes wonder if we, who enjoy many comforts and pleasures, they need to be reminded that our faith doesn't necessarily promise us these things. As we close our time together, I'd like to um, offer some space to reflect on the times that we find ourselves in today. And um, we're going to enter sort of a reflective space together, and um, the worship team will come up, and we will have some time to actually think and respond. So I'm going to invite you to do that with me. So um, go ahead and look at, at the preacher's poem once again. On it, you have your favorite and your least favorite time. Um, right now, I'd like you to consider, what time do you think you're in right now? What would be what would be the season that what would the season be called that you've been in most frequently these days? Or it may be more helpful for some of us just to think about our families. What season is our family in right now? So across this room I know that there are probably varying, wide varying seasons. Um, and, and I'm going to invite you to really try to be specific. So look at the, the list of seasons in the poem, but also maybe you want to title your own season. Maybe it, there's not a word that resonates, but you have one that resonates for you. So consider what season do you find yourself in right now or your family? And I'm going to broaden that out a little bit. So you, your family... If you're a leader of some sort at First Cove, maybe you're on the leadership team or you're on staff or you teach Sunday school, you help with kids, um, most, many of us are leaders in this room, um, maybe a question for you might, to consider might be what, what season is our church in right now? What season is our church in right now? Or some of us are big picture thinkers and we just might want to think about what time is our society facing right now? 
what, what name would you give this chaos <laughs> that we're in other than confusion? <laughs> we don't know what we can believe anymore, right? But, but what, what season are we facing as a nation? So I'm going to give you a minute just to think. Don't be uncomfortable. Just reflect. I'm going to invite God just to come and meet us in this time because we're going to respond to these seasons in a minute. Um, so God, thank you that you know our times that you know our times as individuals, um, what we're each facing. Um, We thank you that you also um, care about our families and our church body and our nation as well. You care for groups of people, and you want us um, to be in touch with what's going on around us. So, Lord, I also um, thank you that you know the times that we are facing in those groups. And Holy Spirit, right now I just want to ask you to come and to speak to us. I pray that you would just give us some enlightenment, that you would shine light on um, what we're facing right now in a way that will help us uh, draw closer to you. So I imagine that some of the seasons um, across the room, many of us or our families or our nation or our church may find ourselves in in difficult seasons. Maybe one's characterized by pain or grief. Um, They may feel like the autumn or the winter where things look bleak and uninviting and uncomfortable. Some of us are just longing (laughs) for spring or summer to come. Maybe some of us are in a season of frustration where things are just not working out the right way or the way we want. And others of us may be just on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. We may feel so excited and thankful for the season that God has given, given to us right now. Maybe you're just in a place of reveling (laughs) in the goodness of God and and the gifts that he's given. Doors are opening. God is speaking. Spring and summer are right in front of you. So I'm going to ask you to consider um, whatever the season you are in personally, or maybe you've been thinking more on the group level. Um how have you been thinking or feeling about the season that you've identified? So most of us don't really enjoy the difficult seasons, so there might be some hard responses that we're in. I know for me, resentment is really big. If I feel like God should be giving me something and I'm experiencing the opposite, resentment is often my response. 
Maybe it's anger or feeling of betrayal, bitterness. Or again, on the other side, maybe um, maybe you're, you're just wanting to cling to this time. If only this could be like this forever. And I, and I want it to be, and I'm going to trust that it's going to be here forever. Um, maybe we're clinging to something, or, um, or maybe we're just resting in something. What are your thoughts and feelings? So following our our thoughts and feelings, I want to ask all of us to consider how in the midst of the season that we're facing right now, can we each take steps toward embracing that season as an act of faith? So if um, maybe we're in a great season, an act of faith might be um, expressing gratitude And also just offering that season and holding it loosely before the Lord, trusting that this is good and I can receive it, but it may not be forever and I can still trust you. Or for those of us who are experiencing difficult things, maybe we're just, we need to express to the Lord those feelings and those thoughts and to tell him that you want to trust him in the midst of this time. And I would just encourage you, in, in my line of work with InterVarsity, one of the best ways I've seen for, for students to walk toward Jesus is doing that in prayer with somebody else. Um, so if what I just described resonates with you, that you know, you're struggling with a season and you want to um, trust God, but it's hard, I would um, invite you to consider... Um, leaning on someone else here this morning. So um, we're going to continue in this reflective space, thinking about these questions. Um, But I'd really like to encourage you to take advantage of two opportunities during this time. So one is there will be some leadership team members and other prayer ministers um, back in the two corners of our room this morning. And they're there um, just to come alongside anyone who wants to and, and pray with you wherever you're at. You can go to them and ask for a prayer of blessing. You can go to them and ask them to pray that you um, can tr- for help to trust God in, in a situation that you're facing. It can be as specific or general as you want, um, but I'd really encourage you to consider doing that. Um, if you're finding that there's something tugging on your heart this morning that I would trust that that's God getting your attention and and really wanting to steal and clarify what he's doing in you. So this is a way to do that. And the second invitation would be maybe you don't know the leadership team members or it feels a little too risky to walk to the back of the room right now. Um, Grab somebody that you do know and trust. Um, We're in a beautiful shared space this summer. Um, with our, both of our services together, and we have people in this room who have lived through a lot of seasons, more seasons than I've faced yet. 
Um, And we have young people who are in spring. (laughs) Why not lean on each other in community and and bless each other wherever we are? So again, I I would invite you this morning, if there's something that um, is just either difficult or even joyous, um, to stretch out a little bit and and connect with somebody else here and just pray for each other a a prayer of blessing or, um, or, or of um, asking the Lord to intervene. So um, I'm going to step away, but please um, continue to, to pray. And you can head to the back any time now going forward, including through the end worship song and after. Okay, so please take advantage of those times. Let me pray for us as we, um, as we move to respond. So Lord, thank you again for knowing our times. And thank you that you've offered community to us in this place, in this church. Thank you for um, people who have um, been faithful to you throughout all of the seasons that you've placed um, them in throughout the course of their lives. Lord, I'm humbled um, by their example. And Lord, I pray that we would... um, be able to reach out to each other in love, to encourage each other through both the beautiful and the trying seasons. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for knowing what you want to do this morning. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would um, move and work in our hearts and in our community this morning. In Jesus' name.